Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host, as always, Jason Evans, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Klein, who's known on the DBR boards as Dev11. Sam, say hi. Hi, everybody. Perfect, Sam. Thank you so much. Hey, with no Duke games, with no Duke games to talk about this week, you might think that it would make for a slow week for the podcast. Well, you would be wrong. Wait until you hear what we have next. I know all of you have been following, at least in some fashion, the terrible academic scandal involving UNC athletes. According to the Weinstein Report, the scandal started something like 18 years ago, involved something like 1,500 Tar Heel athletes who took classes that never met and often required no work. These athletes were often given grades of A's and B's and, you know, A pluses for doing absolutely nothing as part of an effort to ensure that they stayed eligible and in some cases got degrees that they simply did not earn. Well, I will confidently say that we would not know anything or not know much about all this if it wasn't for the work of our next guest. Dan Kane joins us now. He is an investigative journalist for the News and Observer, and it is his reporting for the past couple of years that has been the driving force uncovering the wretched details of the massive athletic and academic scandal at UNC. And I'm thrilled to welcome Dan Kane to the DBR podcast. Dan, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Um, can I start by asking you this? Um, when Mary Willingham contacted you to begin spilling the beans about all this a, a few years ago, did you have any idea how big it would get? Uh, at that at that time, you know, three and a half years ago, no. I mean, um, you know, this all really kind of started out of the football team, and it started with uh, you know two things. Uh, you know, Michael McAdoo's uh, paper that uh, turned out to be, uh, you know, heavily plagiarized. Uh, that was something that the uh, NC State fans, you know, found, um, you know, brought it to my attention. We wrote about it. And then a month later, um, with um, when I had gotten a hold of a transcript of uh, Marvin Austin, you know, one of the football players was caught up in that, you know, sort of agent and, you know, too much tutor help scandal, maybe for lack of a better word. Um, uh, you know uh, that that transcript. You know, um, showed other uh, issues, um, particularly him getting a B plus in a in a summer class before he even takes remedial writing. And um, uh, just do you know how this thing starts? Uh, um, I did that story. Uh, it ran uh, in a Sunday paper in August, and Mary sent me an email. You know, just uh, telling me that she had worked there and that she'd written a you know paper about college athletics. You know, uh, and, you know, when I confirmed that she had worked there, uh, you know, I wanted to talk to her. You know, what was going on in, in that academic support program? And, you know, and, what was, and, and when I was able to talk to her, I asked her about, you know, these, these strange things, you know, this, this B-plus grade, this, you know, the, the, this plagiarized paper. Um, you know, it's the same professor, uh, you know, same department. And, you know, she told me, well, what she did know was it was it, these athletes were being put in these classes that didn't meet, and they all they do is write a paper, you know. Um, and I was really perplexed by that. But you know, at that time, it was all about it seemed to be all about football, you know. And there was this belief that this was all you know part of the rise of the football program. They were you know Butch Davis had come in, and and all of this earlier trouble you know seemed to um, you know stem with with his tenure there. Uh, and um, but you know, um, something like this, you know, you would have to wonder, I mean, you know, we're basketball players in this, in this, 
Um, and uh, if so, you know, to what to what extent? And uh, as things kind of moved along and kind of, you know, bit by bit, you know, we learned that this thing went back a lot farther. Um, you know, it was known from the outset that, um, you know, there were a lot of AFAM majors in basketball, particularly in the first half of the last decade. So, you know, there were, there were those indications, but, uh, you know, it took some time to really kind of, you know, show that, that a lot of this really did involve the basketball team. And, um, you know, why it took so long, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, some of it has to do with the university just uh, making it difficult to get information about, you know, the uh, how, how far this went back, um, you know, what kind of communication was going on, you know, between the academic support program and, and uh, you know, the... Um, uh, Debbie Crowder, you know, Julie Sniangro, um, you know, uh, not doing sort of like a um, evaluation of transcripts and what kind of classes, you know, athletes were taking and how much were they concentrating in these particular kinds of classes. You know, um, it just it took quite a while for, for a lot of that to become known, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I and can I ask... I was going to say, what's the single most surprising thing that you've uncovered in all this? What, what's, I mean, has there been any one moment where you saw some, maybe it was something you were reading in the Weinstein Report, or maybe it's something that you, you know you you discovered some other way that you just went, uh, you know, wow, this is the thing I never thought I'd see. Oh boy, um, uh, there've been a, I mean, there've been a few, you know, oh wow kind of moments, um, you know. Uh, Marvin Austin's transcript was kind of up there, you know, because I, you know, I, you just couldn't explain how somebody would get a B plus in an upper level class, uh, you know, the summer before they start as a freshman, and then and then be taking the remedial writing class, and and I think his GPA, you know, according to that transcript, was somewhere in the neighborhood of like a 2.3. You know, he just wasn't doing well in much of anything else. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was a surprising moment. Um, you know, when we got the records showing that the last no-show class was this uh, um, FM 280 class that had nothing but football players in it, uh, you know, it was created almost overnight, you know, within, within a couple of days of the start of that summer semester. Uh, that was another one. Um, that was in, you know, during June of uh, 2012. You guys probably are aware of uh, when um, Julius Pepper's transcript, you know, got out there. Um, oh yeah, I found this. This that, I found this transcript. Found it was most a, incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was a. You know, it looked like it. You know, I found this test transcript up on their website and um, Carolina's website, and I was asking the university, you know, about it because I, it, it it just had this eerie connection to to the uh, fraud scandal, and, um, you know, and they insisted it wasn't a real transcript, and, you know, and I said, look, you know, I, I'm going to write about this, I'm going to put it in the paper, you know, I mean, please check, you know, they, they wouldn't check the records, and, and as you guys probably know, you know, the, the, the NC State fans had figured out, looking at the web address, um, how to trace it back to an actual copy of Pepper's, Julius Pepper's transcript, and, and, you know, that was pretty... That was a that was a big wow moment right there, and and it really shook things up, and it drew a lot of attention, you know, to the scandal, and you know, um, led to you know the second investigation into this, which was led by Governor former Governor Martin, and uh, um, which you all know, um, you know now um, you know obviously didn't quite go far enough, 
Um, that's an understatement. So that's another. Um, you know, we, uh, you guys are probably aware that, that uh, yesterday I did a, a blog about a particular email that I found really interesting uh, about, um, you know, an exchange between Debbie Crowder and Wayne Walden, you know, the basketball counselor. Uh, you can find that at you know our website. I think it's a, I think it's the top red item in our website today. But um, you know I annotated this email you know because you know it it shows uh, more clearly than any other I can think of you know when Debbie started feeling the heat about these classes. Debbie Crowder. Um, it also shows that you know you had a tutor who who approached her twice to try to put you know this particular basketball player who we don't know. Um, his name is redacted. Um, you know, into you know one of these you know quote unquote independent study style type classes, um, and you know she's you know Debbie is kind of warded her off you know, but there's Wayne asking again you know, and she relents and she puts him in and and you know and Wayne's email indicates that this is a student who struggled to read and write, um, and and they are trying to get him out of. You know, one class that apparently he's struggling with, struggling with, and getting him into one of these classes. You know, so um, th- that was I found that one to be a. I-, I stopped and read that one a few times. You know, when I was going through the stack of of uh, uh, records that um, supplemental records that uh, Ken Wainstein and, and his team provided when they released the report. You know, back in October. I'm sure um, there's some others, but but th- th- there are there are a number of them. You know, those are three. Dan, I wanted to go back. You mentioned the NC State fans that kind of played a role in this whole thing. Um, how much would you say, what kind of credit would you say is owed to the folks at Pack Pride um, in kind of moving this story along? And um, do you think it says anything about, you know, the way that you perform investigative journalism in 2014 that, that you know, anonymous internet posters had had some kind of influence on, on this work, well, there's, there's, I mean, there's no doubt that they had influence on on this case. You know, I mean, they they were the first ones to identify the plagiarism in Michael McAdoo's trans, uh, excuse me, Michael McAdoo's paper. They were the first to identify this transcript that I'd found as, as belonging to Julius Peppers. Um, I think there've been a couple other occasions where, you know, they have they have pointed to uh, important, you know evidence. Um, so, um, you know, I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they are clearly a big part of the story, you know. And um, and the other thing that, you know, you have to you know, realize today in this, you know, this world of, you know, social media where there's, you know, so many ways for people to kind of get out there and, you know, say what they want to say or post what they want to post is that, you know, you, you can um, find, as a reporter, you can find good leads there. Um, uh, the tricky part is, is is that it's a it's a big C, you know, and 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 in some cases it almost feels like a sewer. Quite honestly, I mean, some of the discourse and some of the stuff that gets thrown out there in some of these places is it can get pretty ugly, you know, um, and time consuming. So you have to figure out a way to, um, you know, uh, find the was it find the wheat amid the chaff, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so it's. Um, but you know, don't get me wrong. You know, one, one of the um, you know one of the bigger developments in this story was, uh, you know, we did a story in September of 2012 where we had gotten hold of records um, involving a 
you know, a class, I think it was called AFRI 370, which was, you know, advertised as a senior seminar for, for Afri, you know, Afri, African studies majors, okay? And, you know, people who were seniors or who had extensive, you know, expertise in African matters. That's what it was listed as in the course catalog. Well, we got a whole bunch of records showing that they were sticking, you know, um, academically challenged freshman football players in that class. Okay, well, one of the you know one of the leads uh, about that class actually came from a um, one of these websites where you know students can get on and check out professors. In this case, I think it's called Coopers.com, and um, you know I was kind of searching around uh, that you know just to see what I might see there, and sure enough, there was a student who had filed a comment saying, you know, I wish this class had met. You know, um, uh, I was told to just write a paper. You know, this was in 2010, you know, so long before anybody knew what was going on here, you know. But so there, there are these, you know, this, the, the whole social media phenomenon, there are all kinds of ways where you can, you know, kind of get leads to, um, uh, you know, problems or, or, you know, big stories, I guess. Um, uh, but it can be difficult trying to, you know, find them too because it's, there's just so many avenues out there uh once again folks uh listening to the duke basketball report podcast we're talking to dan kane the investigative journalist with the news and observer who's been um really taking the lead for the past several years on the unc academic athletic scandal um dan i want to ask about the weinstein report um you mentioned that you've been uh you've been reading through all the supplemental material in it um do you think there's a lot more sordid details that are going to be revealed? And, you know, there's some folks who say that the written report by Weinstein and his people didn't make things look as bad as these attachments, these emails and other documents indicate. Uh, what, what's your feeling about that? Well, um, you know, that that's one of those things I think, you know, people are going to have different opinions about, you know, uh, the report and what the supplemental material says and, you know, all of that. I, I mean, you know, the report, uh, I mean, first of all, it does something very important, which is confirm that this was an athletic scandal. You know, for a long time, the university, you know, held on to this, you know, belief, I guess, that, you know, it wasn't because there were, you know, non-athletes in these classes and everybody got the, you know, same grade and they all had equal access. Well, you know, Ken Wainstein's report shows that, you know, uh, you read the, the beginnings of of when this happened, and and it starts with, you know, counselors in the academic support program, kind of bugging, you know, Debbie to get you know Dr. Niangoro to lighten up on these independent studies, um, and it kind of progresses from there. Uh, you know, the numbers of athletes, you know, how they were getting in versus you know, non-athletes. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that that report shows that, that this, was an, this was pretty much an athletic-driven scandal. Um, probably would not have happened if it weren't for this pressure to keep athletes eligible. So that's very important, and, and, it's, and it's very detailed in that, too. Um, you know, in the report, a number of, number of very interesting examples. Everyone, everyone's talked about the slideshow presentation, you know, where they're, they're, they're freaking out because Debbie's retiring, you know. So, um, um, you know, I, I think where people, you know, do raise questions, it, it has to do with, you know, there's, there's a finding in there that, that um, I think that they believe that the university, you know, wasn't trying to cover this up. 
and uh, you know, it, uh, it took an awful long time to get a lot of this stuff out. You know, and, and so you've you've you know, you've seen some folks uh, being you know disagree with that. Um, and then uh, and I think the other thing that people kind of talk about is is the basketball program and and what Roy knew and and you know what he's telling you know uh, Roy Williams coach Roy Williams what he's telling Ken Weinstein now versus what he was saying publicly you know as this uh, scandal was becoming um, you know uh, kind of uh, trickling is not not the right word but but kind of sort of bubbling up bubbling out you know so you know there's a couple of places where you know you you hear people kind of feel like maybe there was more work to be done um, but uh, it's a pretty uh, substantial report, you know, and it and it tells us a lot more than you know what what we, we had known previously. When looking at that report, um, I think that there was some reference to um, the Weinstein report really just covered the African American Studies uh, department. Do you think that um, there's more investigation that that you or or something like Weinstein Commission could do about? Other depart about other academic departments um, that might that might reveal sort of similar results. Well, one thing that's uh, that is mentioned in the report, you know, um, is uh, I mean there are a number of you know quote unquote you know easy classes that are identified, yeah. you know, um, and in fact that spreadsheet that PowerPoint that everyone talks about. You know, there's a one of the pages in there. They're talking about you know some of these other you know um, easy classes that are also um, I don't know if they've used the word on fire or or um, I, um, you know maybe maybe coming to an end. There's a fear about those classes too. And um, I think you know you know Ken Wainsey and his team have have uh, do not view those as you know uh, these. Uh, along the lines of these no-show classes, but um, you know they they do you know confirm that that you know some of these classes were go-to classes because they're believed to be easy, and you know one of the things that um, you know I don't I'm not sure where the university is with all this, but you know um, I, I would assume that that some folks there are are looking at these classes and you know trying to determine you know do they have the proper rigor. Um, you know, there's always this debate about you know easy classes and and when are they legitimate and when are they not. And um, uh, I don't know if we've answered that with with you know these you know these quote unquote easy classes that the the report um, mentions. Uh, and then you have you also have this situation with Jan Boxel and her philosophy classes that she was uh, making available. Uh, you know, again, um, she was a professor. Uh, so therefore, you know, they are different from the um, AFAM classes in that they did have an instructor. Um, but you know, how much instruction um, was the grading um, appropriate? You know, those those seem to be questions that need to be asked um, uh, with her classes. You know, so those are some areas uh, where there could be some, you know, additional. Um, uh, investigation or, or inquiry. Um, but, so you don't uh, know when you might be done with <laughs> with with working on all this. Well, you know <laughs> we've got. Uh, I mean, just just. I mean, there's you know, obviously the story is still going. I mean, you've got the accreditation commission is back. 
Um, you know, the NCAA is back. Um, you know, there's a lot. Of, you know, there's uh, you know there's some. You know, there there is some interest in Congress about what happened here uh, and how it's being dealt with. Um, so, you know, there are other other. I mean, there's just other things going on here that are going to obviously result in, you know, more stories, more information, you know, potentially surfacing. So taking in a little bit of a different direction, uh, we were kind of curious, you know, you've been working in the triangle for a while. Are you a college sports fan? Were you before this? And sort of how do you feel about college athletics since you've been covering this story? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, I mean, I yes, I've I've been a college sports fan. I've uh, watched my share of uh, you know college football and basketball and baseball and hockey and <laughs> you know maybe, maybe maybe a few others, maybe a little bit of golf uh, for all I know. Um, uh, you know, one of the um, most uh, thrilling you know games I ever watched was uh, Villanova and Georgetown in uh, what was that eighty five? Eighty five. right. Memory, yep. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, um, uh, as far as, you know, how has this whole thing affected my, you know, watching college sports, uh, you know, I, uh, what I'll say is professionally, I, you know, I've, I, um, you know, I've kind of made a decision that I just wasn't going to go to any games, you know, um, at, at any university around here. Um, I just, uh, um, I'm trying very hard to, um, you know, show that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, I'm no, um, not aligned with any particular program here. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to cover something that's, that's pretty, pretty ugly. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, fans, um, you know, I've been happy with, with these, these stories, uh, at Carolina, and and on the other side, you know, a number of fans at Duke at NC State have been very happy with these stories, and and um, <laughs> so you know that's put me, you know, it kind of put me in the position of you know realizing that you know, um, uh, just kind of take a break from you know all the college sports watching, and uh, uh, until I feel like this is uh, you know this has run its course. You know, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that, that, you know. that that's that's uh, an interesting perspective on it. Thanks. You know, and somewhat related to that, um, uh, we've heard the reports about, you know, angry emails and threats that you've gotten. Um, you obviously live and work in an area where um, many people cherish UNC athletics. Um, how, aside from not going to games that you just mentioned, how is your your reporting affected your life outside of the office. Has it affected your life outside the office? Well, it has in the sense that this story is, you know, gotten so much attention that, you know, everybody asks about it. You know, everybody asks about it. I, you know, um, uh, I mean, you know, college sports is, is, you know, hugely, you know, huge interest to so many people. And um, this is, you know, this is just a really fascinating case, and you know, they all wonder, you know, what's going to happen next, and all of that. So, um, you know, it's affected me from that standpoint. Um, you know, obviously, some of the, you know, nasty stuff. Uh, you know, you just, you, you know, you, you kind of have to, 
you know, keep in the back of your mind that, um, you know, there are people out there that, um, you know, don't really like what you're doing and, and, uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't go around advertising, you know, that this is, this is what I've been doing for the last three years, you know, so, um, you know, uh, I don't know, that, that's kind of the gist of it, you know, but I haven't like, you know, I don't have like, like a, it's not like I've hired a guard or something and put in front of a house or something like that, you know, or, um, and we're glad that that's not, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't have to be the case. <laughs> no, no, so, you know, um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of that stuff, uh, I think it's, I don't know, it, it, it's, I know, I'm sure some of it's in, intimidation and maybe some of these guys also think that's being part of the team, you know, but, you know, one thing I want to point out here is, that, I mean, there there are a lot of people out there who are Carolina fans who've been who have been very supportive of this reporting too. I mean, and I mean, support Carolina fans in terms of, you know, fans of the entire university and, and particularly its academic mission. You know, um, those folks realize that you know really the the first role of UNC is to educate, you know, educate students and educate them well. You know. Uh, you know, athletics are, you know, obviously a, um, you know, have a, uh, have their role there at the university. But number one is, you know, the integrity of the, of the academic experience. And, and so, uh, I've heard from a lot of those folks, uh, and, um, and that's, uh, you know, I think that's something that, um, you know, university, uh, as alumni should be proud of. I mean, I've, I've learned, you know, very early on that, you know, there are a lot of, People there, you know, alums, faculty, um, you know, student staff, you know, who really care about, you know, that university's uh, role as a as an academic leader, you know, nationally. So, um, but you know, there's some folks who are big time sports fans, and and clear to me that you know they don't want to see anything bad happen to their to their sports team. So, it's that that uh, that divide is interesting. Um, but I want to uh, come back to Roy Williams. We had talked about him earlier, um, kind of looking at Roy and looking at maybe some of the other leadership like Butch Davis or, or Mac Brown going back farther. Um, how much do you think that the, those head coaches or the athletic directors um, who have been at UNC during this time, how much do you think that they knew about these classes and what was going on and, um, and sort of what, what kind of role do you think they, they played in it? Because uh, I think we've gotten some conflicting stories from Roy about, you know, he knows what the kids are taking or he doesn't know what the kids are taking. Um, sort of what's your take on that? Well, um, you know, you have to look at what's out there. Um, you know, Ken Wainstein, you know, in his investigation, you know, they determined that that he did not know that these classes lacked instruction but he was aware that there were, you know, a very high number of AFM majors and that uh, there was a, you know, uh, um, unusual amount of independent study, you know, use, um, you know, um, out of that department as well. And where it gets murky is, you know, what exactly did he do with that knowledge, you know. Um, I think the report indicates that he went to Joe Holiday um, and maybe that, you know, Joe went to Wayne Walden. Um, it's 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 just a little. It's unclear. You know, um, how things flowed from there. And 
you know, and the thing I've, you know, I've spoken about this before, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is just, um, you know, it, there's this question I have about, you know, Roy, you know, acknowledging this stuff to, to Ken Weinstein in his report, but being asked, you know, um, in the two years prior to that, um, you know, specifically about, you know these these classes. Um, you know specifically about the fact that basketball players, you know, were no longer in them uh, when uh, Debbie Crowder retired, and and his responses there just, you know, they're, they're you know, they they don't they give you the impression that you know there wasn't any any effort on his part to, you know, um, deal with the situation, and. You know, it just begs the question: you know, Why not tell us then what what you've told Ken Weinstein now? And you know, uh, but but uh, you know, I can only really refer to you know what's out there, what's in the Weinstein report, you know, what's in various correspondence, you know, what what Roy has said publicly, um, what others you know connected with the basketball team have said said publicly. You know, um, it's hard for me. I don't want to sit here and and speculate about you know. What that all means, I, I really need to just deal with the facts and 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 what is known out there, and you know we may we may find out more as uh, you know some of these other investigations continue. Well, Dan, I'm, uh, first of all, I want to thank you so much for spending the time you have with us, and I want to close with, unfortunately, a piece of speculation <laughs> based on what we know, based on what you've uncovered, what the Weinstein report has uncovered. If you were the NCAA. What kind of penalties would you think North Carolina deserves? Uh, that is the question that I absolutely just refuse to answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean I'm not. Look, I'm not. I you know, uh, uh, I don't work for the NCAA. I've never you know handled an infractions case. Um, I haven't even really covered you know uh, infractions cases before. So. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not the guy who can tell you like, well, because there's this and this and this and this, it means that and that and that and that. You know, I mean, there there are other folks out there, you know, who who uh, you know um, have a lot more expertise in that than me. And uh, you know, and the other thing is, is, is it is well, it's it is hard to figure figure out how the NCAA, you know, works. I mean, you know, there's a lot a lot said about how um, you know they'll act. Certain way with with um, some universities and and uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be consistent with others. I mean that's that's been a complaint. You guys have probably talked about it. Um, uh, so it's just you know I I can't tell you how how this is going to play out. Uh, I only want to speculate. I don't even make a guess. Yeah, and and that's fine. And I figured that's what your answer would be, but I was going to ask it anyway. <laughs> you you well, are not the first. I, I, yeah, I could tell from your answer that I wasn't the first one to bring that one up with you. Listen, uh, Dan Kane, uh, investigative journalist with the News and Observer. Again, we're so thankful. Uh, really appreciate you joining us this week. Um, really appreciate the the hard work that you have done to to uncover um, what some say is uh, you know the biggest, certainly the biggest academic scandal in uh, collegiate sports history. Um, thanks again for joining us on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Yep. Thank you, Dan. Oh, thank you really appreciate it. And Bye. you can uh, you uh, we can check out Dan's work at newsobserver.com. Is that right? 
Yes, newsobserver.com or by the paper. <laughs> That's it. <too. laughs> so it still exists. It still exists in print form, huh? <laughs> yes, it still exists. It's still the best way to read it. <laughs> well, Sam, that was really great, wasn't it? We were really lucky to have Dan with us. Yeah, um, I think that he provided a lot of insight, um, and and likewise, I, I think it's it's great that he that he took time out to uh, to join us and and sort of talk about this incredible story that he's been at the front of for what four years now. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, my favorite moment uh, unquestionably was when he talked about being. Um, a sports fan who, well, you know, not much of a sports fan, but but someone who followed college sports who who can't go to games anymore. He can't go to to you to Duke games or or NC State games for fear of you know looking like he's rooting for one of those teams over UNC, and he can't go to Carolina games for fear. I don't want to say for fear of his life, but for fear that something really bad might happen. Yeah. But to me, that was that was a great human moment, and I really appreciate Dan uh, sharing that with us. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. Uh... It's interesting for someone in his position to kind of be put in, you know, the front of the story. I mean, he's his name is associated with this um, forever, and uh, you know, I, I imagine that journalists don't often find themselves in that in that kind of instance. So, uh, it, yeah, very cool, very interesting stuff. Okay, well, enough of the conversation about uh, UNC and the horrible, terrible things they did wrong. Um, I want to move us back to Duke a little bit. How about that, Sam? Good idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah, and and let's uh, let's look forward to Duke's next major opponent coming up this week. We will be playing uh, the UConn Huskies. Most years, this would be a incredibly touted and hyped matchup because uh, you know we're talking about two of the traditional powers in college basketball over the past 20, 30 years. Um, and Duke and UConn have certainly played more than a few memorable games, mostly in the NCAA tournament. But um, uh, Sam, I know you you took a look at UConn there. Uh, by the way, we're, we're recording this on Saturday, December 13th. UConn has a game on Sunday. We don't know how they'll do against Coppin State because we don't have crystal balls um, to know the result of that game. So I'm just going to pretend like the UConn that we're going to play um, coming up in just a few days is the UConn that is currently three and three, um, which is not an impressive record. Uh, Sam, I know you looked at them play Yale a little bit. What would you think? Um, I should also note that we have a game, I believe, against Elon before that UConn game. So um, I am not going to assume anything about the Elon game. Just to note that um, obviously UConn is a uh, is sort of a bigger name opponent. So that's who we chose to focus on this week. That being said. Um, so obviously UConn won the national championship last year, but they lost a lot of guys off that team. Um, despite that, and because mainly because they were bringing back um, their point guard, senior Ryan Boatwright, um, they started the preseason ranked either 17th or 15th, depending on which poll you looked at. Um, they did okay in the uh, tournament down in Puerto Rico, although they lost to West Virginia. And then since then, they've lost consecutive games against Texas and Yale, um, both at home, uh, both on three-pointer buzzer beaters. Um, so UConn is now three and three. We kind of say this about lots of teams, you know, two shots go a different way and they're looking at five and one and probably still ranked and, and you know, the hype is going to be a lot greater. Um, but that's not where they are. They're, they're three and three. They have a loss against an Ivy League team at home. Um, there was a great quote from the Yale coach. His name is James Jones. After the game, he told the reporters, he said, I told the guys in the locker room, no matter how old they get, 
if they get Alzheimer's or dementia, they'll remember this for the rest of their lives, which I thought was a, a nice quote. Um, I love that. I love that. It's, <laughs> you know, that's a coach understanding what's going to, what, what his team's potential fate will be over the rest of the season and how important this, this one game was. So that's, and, that's pretty that, cool. And that's not to denigrate Yale. Um, they are predicted to be good in the Ivy League, but good in the Ivy League should not be competitive with, you know, top of the American. Although a lot of a lot of folks around the country think that the American has really dug itself a big hole so far this year and might only get one bid. So uh, yeah, UConn I, has to. I, yeah, I'll tell you ahead. really quick uh, before you get into more of UConn. Uh, there's an interesting thing about them. Uh, and being in the American Conference, American Athletic Conference, whatever the heck that, that amalgamation of teams calls itself, uh, most people think of UConn, people who watch college college sports say UConn is the big loser in the major conference realignment that's happened over the past several years. Um, uh, they are not playing in a major conference now by any stretch of the imagination. When they were in the old Big East, um, you know, it, it really it, it boosted their profile by being associated with that. And similarly, being in the AAC um, hurts their profile at, at this time. Uh, their their regular season, they're not going to face the same kind of important teams. As a result, they have to do better because, you know, every loss is going to sting a bit more, um, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with the upcoming game, but UConn um, finds itself in a very, very different place than it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, and I, I know that that school, they, they started football about a decade or so ago in an effort to raise the athletic program's profile. It did for a while. And, and now they're, you know, UConn is clearly the biggest loser, in my opinion, in the conference shuffling that happened in recent years. It's unfortunate for them and and it does spill over to basketball even though the conference shuffled mostly about football okay sorry total sidetrack there continue sir yeah i'll i'll add to that that now uconn is really like the east coast gonzaga they kind of play in a in a bad conference but they're a really good team uh they're still going to schedule aggressively i think other schools are going to want to see them you know in those in those thanksgiving tournaments in, in exotic places um but this year they did themselves no favors by losing all the all the major games that they played in those tournaments. They lost to Texas, they lost to West Virginia. And then um, and then on top of it, they lost to this Yale team that is probably not going to the NCAA tournament uh, and is <laughs> certainly not getting an at-large bid. So uh, they've dug themselves a hole, but they have a lot of talent and can come out of it. So I mentioned Ryan Boatwright. He's the senior point guard. He kind of does everything all over the floor. He's averaging 18 uh, points a game and he's averaging five rebounds and four assists. So he's... He's most of that team's production. Um, however, early in the season, um, he suffered an ankle injury uh, against Yale. Like I said, I watched some of that game. He really didn't look like he was at his sharpest. Um, and the offense is mostly based around Ryan Boatwright. So if he's still not healthy this week, and, and I haven't been able to figure out if he's going to be, but if he's not healthy this week, then they're really going to struggle. Um, they've also got a very talented uh, freshman forward named Daniel Hamilton. Um, he's kind of like their Justice Winslow, 6'7", he's 190, he shoots 43% from three. Uh, he kind of moves around the court really well. And then they've got a center who, against Yale at least, seemed like he had a few good post moves. His name is Amita Brima. He's seven feet tall, 230. So he's going to be going up against Jaleel Okafor. We'll see, uh, we'll see how, how his offensive game is affected by playing against you know, a real big man who's going to be able to defend him. Um, Okafor, obviously, 
you know, wasn't able to contain Frank Kaminsky on the perimeter against Wisconsin, but down low in the post, he was pretty good. So, um, so while Brima, I think, probably looks good against small teams, uh, we'll see how he does against a big like Okafor. And then there are two other guys I wanted to note who are on this team uh, who are interesting to us. One is Sam Cassell Jr., who's obviously the son of the former NBA alien. Um, he was originally <laughs> thinking about going to Maryland. He ended up going to junior college. Now he's um, in, in his first year as a sophomore at UConn. Um, He's only shooting 31% from the field so far, but he's expected to get better. So they're looking for uh, they're looking for him to improve. And then also their first guard off the bench is our old friend Ron, Rodney Purvis from NC State. Um, he transferred to UConn, I believe, after his freshman season. Um, he's also suffering from an ankle sprain, um, so he's a little hobbled um, coming off the bench. But uh, so UConn has talent; um, they just haven't really put it together yet, at least on the offensive end. On defense, they're smothering. Um, their guys are all really big, other than Boatwright, who is pretty athletic for six feet. All their starters are at least of really good NCAA level size. Um, they got a six foot center. Uh, their forwards, their starting forwards are six seven and six nine. Um, they got a bunch of six four, six three guards. So um, they won't get out muscled by Duke, except maybe down with Jolly Loco for against Amita Brima. Um, so they play really good defense. Um, they are great at rebounding. Um, and they run about seven and a half players deep, kind of like we do. Um, so they're just looking for their offense to improve. They haven't been shooting the ball well. Um, their ball movement is okay, but it could get better. So um, I think we should win this game. Um, but UConn has a lot of talent, and and who knows when Kevin Ollie will be able to figure it all out for them and, and get them headed in the right direction. I'm just looking forward to us playing Rodney Purvis again because when he was at NC State, the kid thought he was going to be all-world. He thought he was going to be one and done. Um, instead, he wa- yeah, he was one and done at NC State <laughs> because because it didn't work out for him quite the way he'd hoped. And you know, then he takes a, a year off to, uh, to redshirt, and now he's at UConn. Um, uh, I have a feeling, uh, he, I know he's not lighting things up there yet, seven points per game so far, um, in four games, you know, he's not setting the world on fire at UConn. Um, I think rather than being one and done, he's going to end up being a kid who plays four or five years in college and, uh, you know, it may never work out for him, which is unfortunate. I mean, I know he really wanted it, but, um, I, anyway, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play, uh, because I remember him when he was at NC of course, Ryan Boatwright is a joy to watch. Um, yeah. I was, I was looking at his stats. Uh, he's shooting a lot this year. I mean, he's putting the ball up a tremendous amount of the time. Um, and, he, I mean, he hits a decent percent. He's terrible from three. He's only hitting 20% of his three-pointer so far, which is uh, last year he was way better from three. If he gets hot, I mean, that may be their, you know, sort of the thing they're going to hang their hat on um, in this game. I, I don't see them having much of a chance uh, but if Boatwright, you know, gets hot from outside and Daniel Hamilton can shoot the ball, um, you know, they may try and light us up from the perimeter. Uh, uh, you know, good day for Rashid Suleiman, who's our best perimeter defender, to to really lock someone down, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it's also notable Rodney Purvis uh, follows in an – he is the second in a in a two-man line of NC State uh, point guards or, or, I guess, guards who left and sat out for transfers while their uh, transfer schools won national championships as Ryan Harrow did the year before uh, at Kentucky. So right. I don't, true. 
I don't think anybody has transferred from NC State uh, since then, but um, apparently, if you want to win a national championship, get transfers from State. Yes, but you don't get to play for the national championship. You just right. get to watch it. But you do get to you do get to win it and eventually get a ring. I think like after you graduate, you can get it, but you don't get one. There's all kinds of silly rules. Um, yes. thank, thank you, NCAA, for being so interesting and and stupid with your rule book. Hey, we need to move on. We've we've. Okay. We're going on forever here, but we want to get to something that we launched this week for uh, all those folks on the uh, the Duke Basketball Report Bulletin Board who are our faithful listeners and know us well. Um, guys, we put out a question to all of you, um, and now we're going to get to some of our favorite answers to that question. Our question was, get your favorite story, your, you know, your most interesting encounter with another Duke person. The implication was sort of a basketball, uh, a Duke basketball person. But um, Sam, I think your favorite story that someone posted was not involving a Duke basketball person. Yeah. Um, so my story I picked from poster Tom B, who is a longtime poster. Um, and I'll summarize his story. Uh, you should go to the forum and, and read it. It's very funny. Um, but his, his story involves uh, a famous uh, now deceased uh, Duke person named Dr. Reynolds Price, um, who is a notable professor at Duke and who uh, Tomby's roommate senior year was writing a thesis for, um, Dr. Price left a voicemail on their dorm room uh, voice machine. Uh, I didn't realize that back in the day, the voice machine actually had a tape on it. Uh, I'm too young to remember that. But apparently, uh, the voicemail machine used to have a tape on it, and when they record messages, they would take up spaces on the tape. So Dr. Price once went to leave a message on their voicemail, uh, and he was the ninth in line. Uh, so after sitting through and waiting for the tape to move through all the nine other sort of inane messages, uh, Dr. Price left a message that Tom B. says was like the voice of God himself emanating from our 1099 piece of crap from Sears. That was an incredible waste of time. Um, so that was, the, that was the really good story from Tom B. Jason, did you have one to share? I, I did. I did. And by the way, I, I really like that story. I, I, I know Tom B a little bit uh, off of the off of the DBR. Um, he and I have interacted in the past, and, and uh, that's a great story. I'm glad he shared it. The one I liked the best was uh, by someone who, uh, a poster named Duke Devil, um, who uh, who's from Gaza. He was not a Native American when he came to Duke. Um, and uh, he talks about being... Um, on fall break in the year uh, 1999, and he was one of the few kids still on campus. He hadn't gone home, probably not an easy thing to go home because it's such a long trip for him. Um, and the only other people around were, were kids in the basketball team, including Jason Williams, and that he and Jay Will um, sort of got to be good friends and hung out together a lot over that fall break, and they would play pool and stuff like that, and that Jay Will was a ridiculously good pool player. But the funny part of the story, the part I really liked was the first time Duke Devil met Jay Will, they were playing pickup soccer, and uh, I guess being from Gaza, maybe he, he didn't know how important the basketball players were. So they're playing pickup soccer, and he slide tackled and knocked down Jay Will. And Whoops. everyone yeah, everyone on the field like froze, like, oh, my God. And he said that uh, luckily there was no injury. Jay Will hopped up and was laughing and kept on playing hard. But, uh, yeah, I have visions um, uh, you know, of the Chronicle putting a story out about how our star basketball player – was injured in a pickup soccer game. Um, we need to wrap those guys in bubble wrap and make sure they don't get hurt most of the time. But I found that story amusing. And there were lots of other great stories. Uh, like Sam was saying, I, I encourage all of you listening to go to the 
DBR forum, the Duke Basketball Report um, forum, and and listen to uh, or read, I should say, the stories uh, uh, that people have posted there about their their favorite interactions with a with a Duke player. Um, ordinarily, this might be the time that Sam or I chime in with our own story. Um, I will tell you that uh, uh, when I was at Duke in the late 1980s, I was friends with a lot of the guys in the team, and out of respect for <laughs> for um, for their reputations, I I don't think I have a story that I can repeat in a public forum. And we appreciate that. <laughs> uh, by the way, um, I want to put everyone. I want to let everyone know about our topic for next week for all of you folks on the on. The forum um uh we we want we want to give a christmas gift to duke because next week will be our christmas episode um so our christmas gift to duke will be we want to fix the irrational hatred and resentment of duke we, we know it's out there everyone hates duke i mean uh espn does stories on it um all the time so we're going to fix the irrational hatred of duke and our quest our challenge to all of you on the dbr forum is the first thing we must do to fix the irrational hatred of Duke is, and then you guys fill in whatever it is. We want to hear your ideas, um, your suggestions for what we should fix, what we should do to fix the fact that everyone hates Duke. Um, I unfortunately think the answer is lose, which I'm not prepared to do. I think everyone hates us because we're really good and we always win. <laughs> and, and I'll make sure to, uh, to post a separate topic on the forum so that can just answer that question and not have to try to find it um, in the general podcast discussion. Yes, absolutely. Now, ordinarily at this time, we might be talking about our player of the week. That's something we do every week here on the DBR podcast. There were no games this week, so no player of the week. Um, and that, with that, we're, we're pretty much done here. Uh, I, I want to, again, thank Sam Klein for joining me on the DBR podcast. Donald and Wine. Would, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say I was going to thank Jason Evans for for hosting and 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 putting together the uh, agenda for today, and especially for locking down our excellent guest. Yes, yes. I was going to say Donald Wine, who usually joins us on the DBR podcast, couldn't make it this week. He'll be with us again next week. I also want to thank, even though he's not here to hear it, I want to thank Dan Kane from the News and Observer for joining us. He was amazing and had some really interesting things to tell us uh, about his investigation into the scandal at North Carolina. Uh, but that's about it for us now on the DBR podcast. We'll be back next week at this same time for myself, Jason Evans, for yes. Sam Klein. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, uh, um, and looking forward to the next week, we've got another good guest coming on. So make sure to tune in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm the one who landed Dan Kane. Sam has landed a wonderful guest for next week. We're really looking forward to that. We're not going to tell you who it is, um, uh, but it will be equally interesting. Trust me. Uh, equally interesting to Dan Kane. But anyway, uh, for me, Jason Evans, for my uh, co-host, Sam Klein, uh, for all of us who work behind the scenes to get the DBR podcast on the air, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week, and go Devils. Let's go, Duke. <laughs>